So most people know Puerto Rico as the enchanted island because it's gorgeous, it's just beautiful. But underneath that beauty, there's so many people that are broken. There's an estimated 33,000 families that are still living under blue tarps. And for us, it's not about the roof. It's about people under the roof. Puerto Rico does not get the uh, same attention as it did months after Hurricane Maria. And that is why we're here, because we see the hopelessness, we see the lostness, and we know that the gospel is the only solution. So we look to the local church and we look to the pastors to assess those needs. We make sure that we have the materials and the volunteers to connect with that specific need because ultimately we want every family that we serve to be connected to a local church. Our volunteers that come from Southern Baptist churches, they're selfless. They could choose to go somewhere else, but they choose to come back and they choose to be here in Puerto Rico to serve these families that are still struggling. But the story doesn't end there. We cannot do this without people sacrificially giving. When you give, it allows us to, not just to rebuild the roof, but it allows us to have an impact in the lives of people. That's what I'm seeing all over the island. And that's what I want the whole world to see. Hi, and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'm glad you've chosen to join us online this morning as we worship together and as we look at God's Word together. We're back in the book of 1 Peter. We're in a series called Exiles, a study in 1 Peter where we're looking at what Peter, the apostle, wrote to the church in Asia Minor. The church had been exiled. Uh, they left Rome under heavy persecution and moved to Asia Minor, where Peter writes and gives them some instruction for how to live in that particular setting. You remember, Peter was a boisterous, he was a brazen apostle. He was the guy that opened his mouth before any other apostle did. And so when Peter writes this, it comes from that background, but it also comes from the background of Peter's failure. You remember Peter was told that he would deny Christ uh, shortly after the Lord's Supper or that night before Jesus died. And uh, what takes place between that, that particular time frame and the time frame where Jesus meets Peter on the beach um, really changed the traje trajectory of his life. Uh, it moved him from just being bold to being bold for the gospel. And so Peter is one of those guys. And you remember, he went back to fishing. John 21 has, an, has a, a story where Jesus meets these fishermen that he had known. They were his disciples. And he starts asking them questions, and they share a breakfast on the beach. And shortly after breakfast, Jesus calls Peter to the side and has a discussion with him. You remember the story, and it started like this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we could look at that and say, you know, do you love me more than these? What are the these? It could be the fish. Do you love me more than going fishing? And it could be, do you love me more than the disciples that you're having breakfast with? 
But notice this, that Jesus addresses him as Simon, son of John. Peter had not been addressed by Jesus like that since very early in the, in the relationship. You remember that Jesus changed his name to Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. And so he's, that, that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Peter is addressed with Simon, son of John, and that must have been a shock in and of itself. But then Jesus goes on and says, do you love me more than these? And Peter's answer was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus's reply to that was, feed my sheep. And they go through this scenario three different times. Uh, where Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter answers, you know I do. You know I do. And, and Jesus would say, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. And, and you can imagine how Peter felt in that particular situation where Jesus is asking the same question over, getting the same answer, and there's a degree of frustration, and yet Peter is reminded maybe in his mind but more so in his heart of what he had done um, at the crucifixion that he had denied Jesus three times where he was boisterous beforehand he became bold for the gospel afterwards we pick up the story in Acts chapter 2 it says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he's addressing a large crowd. And so with boldness, he begins to share the gospel and talk about what had happened with Jesus and how he was crucified, but then how he rose from the dead. And he offered the, the people there a chance to be saved, and many were. And so Peter goes from this boldness to bold gospel sharing in the book of Acts. And then almost 30 years later, he pens this letter to the exiles. And he's teaching them and sharing with them and, and helping them to understand some basic principles. One, that they have a position in Christ, that they are chosen by God to, to be saved. And they are chosen and not forgotten. The second thing that he reminds them is that there will be persecution and suffering. And he shares with them how to respond to that with the love of Christ, understanding that Jesus suffered as well. And then the presence among themselves as the church, but also their presence in the community as they're, um, as they're encouraged to share the gospel with those that they live around. And so up to this point, in First Peter, through the four chapters, uh, this letter was written to the general audience of exiles. It was written to the churches, so they would sit and they would read the letter and it would be spread among everybody in the, in the church. But the next section that we're looking at, out of chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, is, although it's brief, it is Peter's address specifically to leaders in the church and elders in the church. It's a, it's a category of leadership, that he is addressing. Now, I, I want to kind of put this caveat in it because although he's addressing a particular leadership group within the church, there are principles that we can apply across the board for everyone. Because I asked the question this way, why did Peter put a specific text or, or write a specific thing to leaders, but it was to be read publicly? 
And so I think there are things that the, the congregation the, in that time needed to know about leaders and the leaders needed to know how to apply their leadership to the congregation. Because the relationship between leadership and a congregation in a church, even a church like ours, is extremely important. If the people don't trust the leader, there's an issue. If the leader doesn't trust the people, there's an issue. And there is a commonality that we have as a congregation to do, um, to, to follow the principles that Peter is lining out in 1 Peter chapter 5. See, Peter's goal is not to come down on anybody. It is to strengthen the church and help the church to be the best possible witness for Christ wherever it goes. So whether it would go back to Rome or whether it was in Asia Minor or whether it was in Hillsborough or Durham or anywhere else, that the church would be such, such a strong entity for the gospel and the, the praise of our God that it would be unmistakable. And so let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 1, and we're just going to read the first four verses. It says, So I exhort the leaders among you. Let me, let me turn to that on the screen. So I exhort the leaders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter writes this to this leadership group and wants them to understand their role. The first thing that I want us to look at is in that first verse. It's the idea of who Peter is. It's, um, I think the way to put it is that leaders are marked by humility and confidence. Leaders are marked by humility and confidence. Look at the verse. It says, so I exhort the elders among you. So he's encouraging the elders among them as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So who is Peter? We go back to that original statement early in this message where we know that Peter was an apostle, that he was present at the crucifixion. He was actually part of the inner circle of Jesus's friends. Um, he was the one that was really close to Jesus. John writes that he was the one that Jesus loved, but Peter was right there alongside John. They, he was one of the two that made it to the empty tomb early that day, um, early on resurrection day. So Peter's no stranger to Jesus. Remember, this is 30 years removed. But Peter is intimately acquainted with all the ministry that Jesus did over the first three years or the three years of his earthly ministry. He's an apostle. He's from the inner circle. He's intimately acquainted with the actual sufferings of Christ. And I would believe that over those 30 years up until penning this, that he's also intimately acquainted with Christian martyrdom, that he's watched fellow Christians, those that claimed Christ, die in the name of the gospel and in the name of Christ. So he says he's a fellow elder. So he could claim a lot of things, but what he claims to be is one of them. 
He claims to be part of that group of leadership. I'm just like you in the church. I am a fellow elder. He, and he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ and, and as well a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's a witness and he's a partaker. He has the same position or place status in eternity as those elders or as anyone else in that congregation. Forgiveness was applied to Peter just like them. And so he's one of the chosen. He's one of a holy nation. He's one of the ones that is God's own possession. And is, he is a partner in what is to come. And so Peter is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now I want to, I want to make a, a note here, just a kind of a sideline, chase a little rabbit for a second, in that when Peter writes this, remember he's writing from a position of humility. He's writing as a fellow elder. He's not claiming a status. And yet what we see in one particular church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, is we see the, the Peter and a assumed position as the Pope or the founder of the Catholic Church, we see that being raised to a level that I don't believe Jesus Christ ever promoted. Although he called Peter out and he said, upon this rock I will build my church, he was not referencing Peter himself. He was referencing the confession that Peter made that Jesus was the Son of God. And regardless of what anybody else said, that was the truth, and it was not revealed to him by the flesh, but it was revealed by the Spirit. And so Peter would probably disavow his relationship to the way the papal or um, the Pope would have viewed himself in relation to the church and in relation to Christ. The second thing is that leaders are stewards of God's family. Leaders are stewards of God's family. Look what it says. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And so the first thing we grab out of this is to shepherd. They are to shepherd the flock. That word shepherd means to rule or govern. Now remember, Peter's background was a fisherman, and Jesus called him to be a fisher of men. But in this particular case, we go, we jump back to John 21, where he says, feed my sheep or tend my sheep. It was to look after, it was taking care of something that was precious and extremely valuable. See, God puts a high price on us. He redeemed us by the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, he wants the church to proclaim his name, but be taken care of. And so Peter's job is to shepherd the flock of God. It's not Peter's flock. It's not John's flock. It's not my flock. It is the flock of God. See, God owns it. He's, it's been bought with the blood of Jesus on a hill called Calvary. And we don't need to forget that God owns the church. God redeemed the church. God is sanctifying the church. And yes, we have pastors and staff, but, but it is God's flock. 
And so the charge to me, the charge to Pastor Isaiah, Pastor Jeremiah, Pastor Wayne, others in leadership within our church family is to shepherd the flock or to look after the flock. And then it says that we are to shepherd the flock that is among you exercising oversight. What does oversight mean? It just means to look over, to inspect, to evaluate, to care for. When, when we lived, when our family lived in Florida, in fact, even, even before I met Debbie and, and went off to school, um, we lived in central Florida or southwest Florida, and I'd travel often through central Florida, and there were tons of orange groves. And so we got, kind of got an orange grove um, an orange grove education, if you will, um, living in that particular section. And we realized a couple of different things as the growing season would start, the blossoms would come out on the orange, the orange trees. And they were sweet. Um, almost, if you rode through them for hours, they were almost too sweet, little nauseous. Um, you get a little nauseous just smelling it for hours, but it, just a sweet smell of those blossoms. And they were tender, they were infants, they were very vulnerable. And so they would be taken care of. It's much like somebody who comes to know Christ who is just starting out and you know Satan's going to attack that person with a vengeance because they've given their life to Christ and caused Satan's goal to be thwarted or, or to be pushed back. And so those that are new in Christ are tender. They, they have the sweet smell of the newness of life that they are a new creation in Christ. And so they're much like that tender orange blossom at the very beginning. But the other thing that we need to understand is for, for an, orange, an orange to become the, the most sweet that it can, often it is good to have a freeze. We went through a freeze a little bit earlier this week, a frost and, and, and some cold weather. And that stress put, pushed onto an orange tree and the orange fruit itself brings about a sweetness that is not there if it is not stressed. Now think about that for a moment in relation to what Peter shares about suffering and the way, the, the way life goes and things that happen in our life. Is it not true that when we go through stressors that we tend to rely on God more, um, where we lean into him with a greater exuberance than we did when things were going well? And, and I would say that because we're in the situation we're in now, many of us are finding that this is a profitable time for our relationship with Christ. So the, these oranges have a freeze into applying an unwanted stress. And at the same time, those trees are also guarded by the one who takes care of the tree. They would often run their sprinklers the night before a freeze to cover the fruit in, in ice so that it wouldn't be further damaged, but it would have a controlled temperature. And so it was guarded and so even though it was enduring stress, it was guarded by the one who was in charge of the, of the um, orange grove. And then all along the way, there's the maintenance of growth. And so oversight involves watching out for those that are new in the faith, um, being alongside those that are going through different stressors and, and, and 
uh, circumstances of life that, that may be unwanted, but all the time watching for maintained growth. And so that's what a leader does. They have oversight. And then Peter goes into the qualities of a shepherd. And it's, uh, they're, they're more along character traits in relation to the church as a whole. So he says that they are to shepherd with oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So not under compulsion. It's, it's essentially not forced, but, but willingly. Um, there's a couple different ways to look at this. You, somebody who is under compulsion may have been talked into ministry. Yeah, I can't see you doing anything else. I see you in ministry and, and kind of forced that direction. Or they're talked into a particular leadership role or a particular place of serving within the church. And they may not be designed for it. It, leads to, it can lead to frustration and burnout. And, and even those that are called to it can, can actually have a degree of frustration and burnout if they're not careful. And so what Peter is saying is, leaders, be, take care of yourself. Watch, watch out for yourself as you as, have oversight over the church that you don't get into the mode where you feel like you're forced to serve within the church, but you are to serve willingly. And it's our job sometimes to step back and find refreshment or restoration. I'm thankful for our church on, on a couple different levels. One, you allow us to go to conferences and, and things that would enhance our ministry, but also that would enhance us personally and help us to grow and to, to be more connected to Christ. The other thing is within our personnel policies, you also allow us a sabbatical, um, periodic sabbatical, which is a, a time of refreshing and stepping away from the pressures of church and shepherding. So to find re refreshment and restoration. And, and if compulsion um, becomes the thing and you were forced into ministry and you don't feel the call to ministry um, or, or you're struggling with the idea of compulsion, if refreshment does not um, address the situation, then I would... I would say, as Peter would likely say, find something else to do. And although it's scary, find something else. And that could be true for even leadership within our church. If it becomes drudgery, find another place to serve. It doesn't mean you get the opportunity just to drop out or drop off the map. It is, it is a time to reevaluate yourselves and what God is leading you to do. And then the, the next uh, the application for that would be to guard our expectations and to honor boundaries. You know, the, the church as a whole, and the, this application piece is for the whole congregation in reading about leaders, is that we have to guard our expectations. What do we expect out of our leadership? And at the same time, do we cross over the boundary of what is appropriate? Yeah, you know, I would say if there's an emergency, call me at three o'clock in the morning or you can call the other pastors at three o'clock in the morning in an emergency, it's okay. 
but to to think that the schedule is wide open that you could call me at three o'clock in the morning because of some non-emergent thing um, that would be stepping over the boundary and so we want to be careful to guard our boundaries and to um, to guard our expectations the next thing that peter writes is to be not for to to over have oversight not for shameful gain but eagerly not for shameful gain but eagerly another way to put it is not greedy but eager first timothy 3 3 there's a warning in that it says um, that those that are elders those that are in leadership leadership should not be a lover of money cash cannot drive the call of somebody that is in the gospel ministry and so the, the application here is that compensations need to commend or be commendable. Um, it's a way of saying, we want to take care of you. And the church's responsibility is to, to take care of the pastors. And it's not to go overboard, but it's to make sure that they have what they need. That was one of the things that Deb and I really appreciated when we came to, to Ebenezer is we were asked, is what the church is offering going to be sufficient for your household? And, and gratefully, I could answer yes without question. Um, the church was generous. The church loved us. The church provided for us and continues to do that. And so I'm thankful for a church that is like this. And I'm thankful for the church member that asked that question. They wanted to make sure that we were okay. The third thing that Peter writes is to be not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. To not be overbearing, but by example. That word example is the Greek word typos. Well, you recognize it. It's to type or, or a, it's a stamp. It, it technically means um, a mark formed by impression. Now, here's confession time. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, and likely if you're a guy, you might have. I don't know too many ladies that have, but have you ever just had that, that great desire out of frustration or whatever to punch a wall? Now, now, admittedly, I've been there. I've punched it. I was glad I didn't hit a stud in the wall or something else. Um, but I've done that, and what I found is when I hit it hard enough, and I hit the drywall hard enough, it left an impression. I know some people whose wall, when they hit it, left an impression on them. But it's the, the mark of impression. It's not punching to make a mark, but establishing a pattern to follow. And so the application for the, the church at this point, because the, the leader is to be an example or a stamp of what to follow, the question is, what would a leader expect followers to do? Because if we're going to lead by example, we have to be the first in line to do what we're asking congregants to do. And so the application would be this, that we would desire that our congregation would be learners that you would be studying scripture and learning. It's not to fill your head, it's to put in that which can be used by the Holy Spirit to come out and make a gospel difference. The second thing is to be generous. And during this time, our church has been generous. 
in giving to our budget and giving to Annie Armstrong um, and doing the things financially. But I, we also have to be generous as a people with our time and our talent. So it's generosity, but more than just the financial piece of that. And then we are to be servants. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says this, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So they, they kind of push down or put their thumb on the, the Gentiles. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, Paul put it a different way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said in verse 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I would say that's the push for, for us as leaders to imitate Christ. And then the congregation can look at us and get a clear picture of who Jesus is. So we lead by example. The last part of our outline this morning is that leaders are rewarded for perseverance. They're rewarded for perseverance. Look what it says in, in verse 4. four. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, who is the chief shepherd? Well, it's Jesus. We know him as the good shepherd or the chief shepherd. John ten eleven says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So when Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What is that? Well, the, the word unfading is a Greek word, amaranth. It's a flower that does not fade or wither. And even though it may be plucked from the plant, you can revive it with water. It's a, it's a very different kind of plant. And that's the word that's used here in the word unfa unfading. Whoop, let me, there we go, unfading. It's that, that word. And then crown is just a wreath. It is a prize for finishing the race. And so when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's the reward for the perseverance of a leader. And so let me, let me ask you some things as we wrap this up this morning out of 1 Peter chapter 5. First thing is, how is your leadership? How's your leadership? To what have you been called um, and then maybe we, we need to remember that some may need to be refreshed. And then some need to be redirected. Second question in this is, how is your fellowship? Not leadership, but fellowship. As the church, as a church member or somebody who attends, how is your fellowship? Are you dedicated to learning? Are you being generous with all that God has given you? And then are you serving with humility? The last thing has to do with the whole reason that Peter writes this to the leadership. It's because he wants to uphold the flock of God. And he wants to see the flock of God prosper. And so 
I want to ask you this, are you part of God's family, his flock? You know, did, did Peter write this with you in mind? Because you're part of the family of God. You see, when you become part of the family of God, you fall under the oversight of the earthly shepherd or the earthly pastor that is ultimately under the protection and provision, or you are ultimately under the protection and provision of the chief shepherd or the good shepherd. Today is an opportunity for you to pray and become part of the sheepfold to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, to receive the forgiveness that God offers by and through the cross of Calvary and the hope in the empty, through the empty tomb. See, God wants you to be part of his flock. And he wants you to grow as, as starting out as a tender flower and growing to, even though there are stressors, growing into a mature, sweet fruit that can be tasted by the world that needs the refreshing of somebody who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we have great opportunity. And so I'm going to pray. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you can do that right now. So I'll lead us in that prayer, and then I'll close us in prayer, and we'll be concluded for today, for this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunities you've given us to study your word, the technology to even do this. And Father, we know that as part of the church, you've called us to bring glory to you and to serve in our community. As the chief shepherd, as the good shepherd, you lead us. And Father, as you provide for us, Father, I pray that we will be the people of God you want us to be. And God, we pray right now for that one that does not know you as Savior. They're not part of the flock of God. If we were to ask them if they were to die today, they would have no earthly idea where they would go. They would hope, maybe hope to go to heaven, but are not sure. And your word says that um, 1 John 5.13 says, I've written these things, you may know you have eternal life. And so God, we know you don't want it to be a secret or a mystery about our eternity. And so God, I'm gonna pray a prayer and if somebody wants to pray along with this, they can. And Father, we pray that as we get together after, at some point that we will celebrate those that have come to know Christ. So if you're in this place today and you've not received Christ, but you want to, pray this after me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I know that my sin separates me from you, a holy God. But I also know that you gave Jesus Christ to die on my behalf and to shed his blood for me. And right now, I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to receive the new life that you give through Jesus. And so therefore, I turn from my sin. I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you and ask you to be the, not just the Savior of my life, but the Lord of my life. And Father, may my life as part of your flock glorify you in the days ahead. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for coming into my life by the promise that you offer in Scripture. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer today, I would encourage you to do a couple of things. I would encourage you to contact our church office and let us know you made that decision. I would also encourage you when we get back together as a church family in the days ahead that you would join us for Bible study and for worship. You'd be part of the orange grove, if you will, that's growing in Christ, that we could be the sweetest fruit together, um, proclaiming God and making a difference in our community. I'm so glad that you joined us today. Let me, let me pray one more time and pray us out. Father, thank you for today and all that you do. Be glorified in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to the days when we can get together and worship and celebrate and hug and shake hands and do all those things um, that we're looking forward to as the body of Christ. May God bless you. Have a great rest of the weekend and a great week in the Lord. Mm -hmm.